0: we are in the middle of this uh, studying this psalm and we are beginning in verse number 17 as we are walking through looking at the story of Israel from zone to Zion as as one recorded it from Egypt to David if you just if you remember i'll just make a statement or two about each section to kind of gear us up to why we are where we why we are looking at this in the way we're looking at it. At the beginning of the psalm, we learn why or what we need to be teaching our children. We need to be not just as not an admonition only to parents, but to the next generation. All of this generation has responsibility to teach the next generation the things of God, the story of God, and his faithfulness to his people through all generations. The second section of the Story is about why we need to teach this story. It's not important only to teach the what. If they do not understand the what, they will not. Or if they do not understand the why, they will not give the what to the next generation. And so we see uh, next that they are to uh, teach the why. Thirdly, as we begin in verse number nine, that we speak, we see how the uh, the rest of the psalm is developing into a history of Israel. Uh, the first eight verses there were a reminder to us of what, uh, what we're supposed to be doing and why we're supposed to be doing it. And then, and then verse number 9 is the reminder of what happens when we don't teach the what and the why or when the current generation just fails even when they don't have to. In verse number 17, where we'll pick up this morning, you'll, you'll probably start to see a pattern as we will start and stop with these types of verses. Verse 17 is one of them. Verse number 32 is another one of them. Uh, verse number 40 uh, is another one. And it's, in spite of everything that just happened, they still sinned. They still failed. They still would not turn, return to God. And so while Psalm 78 is about the faithfulness of God, it is also about the unfaithfulness of His people and it goes to emphasize and highlight even greater the faithfulness of a God to His unfaithful people. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 17-31 under this title of Unsatisfied Cravings. So let's read together Psalm 78. I'll read verse 17 if you follow along down to verse number 31. Yet they sin still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High God in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that waters gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard it, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust His saving power. Yet He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by His power He let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas, Let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings. And they ate, and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them, and laid low the young men of Israel. May God bless the reading of his word, as well as the receiving and the obedience of it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we ask simply that you will speak to us for we, your servants, are listening. We ask that you might bury these truths deep in our hearts and that we might be found obedient to what we hear this morning. May all the glory and all the praise go to you, a faithful, loving, and compassionate, holy and just God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been hungry? Yes. Have you ever been hungry and you just can't seem to find anything to eat? Not that the cupboards are empty, there's just nothing looks good. I once heard a husband say, "Well, every time I open the fridge, I just see ingredients. I don't see food. I need my wife to come in and turn those ingredients into food, so there's something to eat. Maybe you have a general hunger. You're not really sure what you want, but you know you want something. We have a few ladies, moms in 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 the crowd this morning who are expecting, and there's always a craving that goes along with that. But guys, we're just as susceptible to cravings, weird ones as well as overindulging ones as well as the ladies. Or maybe you have a specific craving. You want something sweet, or you want something salty, or something cold, or something hot. My family has been at camp, uh, family camp all week, and one of the wonderful things about family camp is that you're never hungry, and yet there's more food to eat. Uh, It seems like we just finished a meal, and it's time to go back. And there's always dessert, even at breakfast. There are no cravings (laughs) at family camp because you're, you're satisfied. You never really want anything. But in this story, we read about a craving that Israel had. And I want to take some time and look through these verses and see the craving that Israel had and the dangers that came behind it. Now, in this passage, as it begins, we find two two sins, and I'm just going to label as Israel's rebellion. Psalm 78, verse 17 recounts the time that Israel spent in the wilderness. And that's why I had uh, Josh read Numbers 11 to us to tell us that particular story, as this is a rehearsal or a review of that story in Numbers chapter 11. So if we, we'll, you, you want to keep your, number, uh, your, your finger in Numbers 11, you might find it useful to flip back and, and see what that, uh, th- that little phrase uh, is uh, expounded in, in Numbers chapter 11. Since the people who read Psalm 78 originally were familiar with Numbers 11, they would not need every detail to remember every detail. They would, uh, they would just simply know, oh yeah, and you, we remember when that this happened because of that. Uh, we who were not necessarily a part of that, or our fathers have not uh, passed down what happened to them in that way, uh, we need a little bit of refresher. So you may find Numbers 11 a little bit more helpful to just uh, peek back at and look at or read a little bit more carefully uh, this afternoon. By the time we get to Numbers 11, Israel has been wandering in the wilderness for a little over a year since they left Egypt. They are tired, they are grumpy, they are hungry, they are thirsty, they are unhappy in every way possible. And things are not going as smoothly or as quickly as they would have liked. Don't know what they thought was going to happen when they finally left Egypt. They probably, uh, if we're going to be honest, were probably just glad to be out of there and really not, not thinking about the next destination or the next journey. Uh, it was not supposed to take them 40 years to get to the promised land, uh, but uh, I don't know how long they were anticipating it would take, but they've been out there for now about a year and a half. And they start complaining, which is a, a theme throughout Israel's time in the wilderness. Things are not going as they want, and so they begin to complain. Inevitably, complaining leads to comparing. And they began to remember what things were like in Egypt, but with a twist. Because they don't remember anything bad in Egypt. They only remember things good. They remember the leeks and the garlic and the onions. They remember all the wonderful things that they had. They forget conveniently that they were slaves in Egypt. They just remember that their bellies were full. They complained, they compared. And this led to another rebellion. This is not the first rebellion that Israel has, nor will it be the last. But this time, the rebellion was all centered around food. They want food to eat. Numbers 11, Josh read to us, they were tired of the manna that God had miraculously provided for them for years and years, uh, all in the, uh, every morning, uh, lay, on the ground, and all they had to do was go pick it up. They never had to work for it. They just had to go and get it. This wasn't even the first time that they complained about food. Go all the way back to Exodus 16. They first started complaining about food. They were fresh out of Egypt and had nothing to eat and this is when God brought the manna to them. Well, now they're tired of the manna. They've had manna too much, too long, and they want something more. The complaining, however, in Psalm 78 turns much deadlier as it, has proved, as it has done in the past. And Psalm 78, verses 17-20 records rebellion in two specific ways. And I want to look at those with you this morning. First of all, they had sinful cravings. Look back at verse number 17. Yet they sinned still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They had sinful cravings. Now, wanting food is not sinful. Needing food is not sinful. We couldn't even, we wouldn't even call that a sinful craving. Uh, depending on whether or not you had breakfast this morning, uh, you're gonna go home in a little while and probably be hungry for lunch. You're gonna want something to eat. You might be really hungry, or you might just be kind of hungry, and neither time would we consider that sinful. Because you want food. Sometimes we have a specific hankering for a specific kind of food, right? I want Chinese, or I feel like pizza tonight, or we want to go get ice cream. That's not a sinful craving. But here, for Israel, it was a simple desire that turned into a sinful craving. How did this happen? It happened because God had been providing them food. God had given them what they needed. And He had been doing so for quite some time, but they weren't satisfied with what God had provided. Despite all of the provision that God had given them throughout their time in the desert, it still wasn't enough. In fact, if you go back and read Exodus 16 this afternoon, you'll see that manna wasn't the only thing that God gave them. At least for a specific time, there were quail on the ground then. They had some meat to eat. I don't know if that lasted or if that was just for a short time, but in Exodus 16, it says that they had meat in the evening and and bread in the morning. Well, the meat has run out and they want more. They're they're not happy. We don't know all of the details, but we can be certain that what they had was not what they wanted. And so a simple desire for food or different food became sinful because of their dissatisfaction with God's provision. And that's really the main thing that we need to be uh, thinking as we read through this, and the the way that we will find an application for ourselves. I want you to look back at verse 17 and notice how God is described here. Because I think that it plays uh, emphasizes uh, just how gross of a sin this is. Because in verse number 17, it says that they rebelled against the Most High. Now, this is a, one of the names of God. He is the Most High. This is El Yon. That's, that's, that's what that word would be in Hebrew. And it's not the only name that God has. that they, they, they refer to God. They refer to God as Yahweh, or they refer to Him as Adonai, or they refer to Him uh, as, as, as all, all sorts of names. But specifically here, the psalmist brings up the name Most High. You don't need to be a Hebrew expert to figure out what the Most High means. It means He is the Highest. He is the biggest, the best. Of all the beings that there are, God is the Most High. And that's important. And I want to develop that in just a moment as we look at that. But keep in mind that when it says that they rebelled against the Most High, that means that they were rebelling against the highest of all beings, including themselves. This is not just a God versus God thing. This is a God versus everybody thing. And God is the Most High. Israel was not happy with the way that God was handling things. They were not satisfied with the way that God was leading them, and they had ideas in how to improve their situation. And so they began to complain. We go back to Numbers 11 in our minds at least. You can remember that Moses got so irritated and fed up with them that he said, God, just kill me now. I can't deal with these people anymore. Do me kindness and kill me now. I don't, want to, I don't want this. I didn't ask for this job. He, even, he begins to use terms like he's a mother. I didn't give birth to them. I don't want to deal with these people. This is too much. This is awful. There's, there's no way out but death. God, take me. Take me out and let someone else deal with this mess. Moses even is ready to quit. And it wasn't enough that Israel simply wanted more. More. That is sinful in itself because they were dissatisfied with with what God had provided. This was a craving, wanting something that God had not provided, wanting something that God had not given them. And we can see why, as we look back outside of the situation, we can see why God did not give them these things. But in the moment, these people were dissatisfied and wanted something other than what God had provided them. Sin number one. But it goes worse. It gets worse with sin number two. Because they had sinful cravings, they began to make selfish demands. Sinful cravings that led to selfish demands. We continue reading down in verse number 19. uh, They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? So these aren't just questions that they're asking. The psalmist is very clear to let us know that these questions are speaking against God. They are not asking God they are not asking about God. They are speaking against God. Can he table? Can He furnish a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed, referring to the time earlier in their history when they had no water, and God said to Moses, strike the rock with your rod, and water came out. Second time it happened, God said, speak to the rock. Moses got angry. Once again, he hit the rock. Water did come out, but that was the sin that uh, kept Moses from going into the Promised Land. But God had provided His people uh, water from rocks. You don't have to be a geology expert to figure that out. That's not normal. That's not a normal thing to find water from a rock. And that's exactly how Israel was uh, was, uh, sustained while they were in the desert. To show that their God was able to take care of His people. And they used this to test and tempt God to manipulate God into satisfying their cravings because they ask, well, He did it with water. Can He do it with food? Can He provide a table in the wilderness? They demanded food. Verse number 18. Verse number 19, they spoke against God and they doubted His ability to provide. Now let's be very clear. This is not a faith-filled prayer request. We might look at the things that God has done in the past and say, Well, you know, I've never seen God do this specific thing, but He has done this, this, and this. I wonder, can God do this? This is not a faith-filled prayer request. Praying for God to meet your needs is not sinful. We're commanded to do that. We are supposed to go to God and pray for the things that we need. But Israel was not relying on God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not you going to God and informing Him of the things that you want and need. Prayer is not going to God and finding out if He can. We know that already. That's why we go to Him and pray. We're going to Him and relying on Him saying, please feed me. Please clothe me. Please shelter me. Please protect me. Do the things that I cannot do, which is everything. Do them that you promised to do for me. Israel was not relying on God. They were demanding God to fix their situation. Prayer became more of rubbing a magic lamp for the genie to come out and giving him your three orders. God, remember, you're the Most High. Do it my way. God, do what I say. Do what I want. Not what you want, God. Do what I want, God. Fix my situation. I read this week uh, one one writer of this passage. He said, What they asked was not food for their needs, sought in a spirit of faith, but satisfaction of greed, clamored, for in a spirit of unbelief. So first of all, this is not a faith-filled prayer request. Second of all, this is not a genuine question of God's ability. You know, it is, it is, uh, it is important that we try to give. You know, think about this from all sides, and it is uh, possible that these people just didn't know. They didn't know if God could. But the psalmist is there to remind us they did know. This was not a genuine question, if God can a new testament parallel do you remember the story in mark 9 where the man comes to jesus asking him to help his son and he says jesus says if you believe and the man says i do believe help my unbelief and we don't crucify this guy for that because we're all there i know you can but there's still doubt there's still uh, there's still something within me that just it resists that it resists relying on you resists trusting in you i believe help my unbelief This is not Israel. God knows when we ask these questions, as one put it, He knows the difference between struggling faith and contemptuous unbelief. And when you and I pray and we ask God for the things, He knows when we are struggling with faith and when we are testing Him. Prove it, God. Do what I say and show me that You're powerful. If you be God, then prove it to me. They knew God could provide because He had already done it, time and time and time again. They'd been in the wilderness for a year, plus they'd seen how God had provided them. If you're not uh, sure uh, whether or not they were they were confident in these things, go back and read the earlier verses. Verse number. Uh, eight, uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12, they, they saw all the wonderful things that God had done. How He had redeemed them from Israel. How He had provided for them. How He had protected them. How He had guided them. All of these things God had done. Why, if God can bring water from a rock, surely He can provide food that they need. If God has provided food that they need, surely He can do all of the things that they require, that their needs require all of the previous wonders were meant to build faith in god's ability to provide all of these things from the past were given to them so that they could stand on those and say he did it here and here and here he can do it here and then when god comes through over here we add that to the list of god can and when we get to the next big thing we say well god did it in those four situations God can do it here. I believe God can. And when He does, we can add that to the... God can. God can. Now, there's a difference between God can and God will. We don't presume on what God will do. We don't know what God will do. We don't tell God what He will do. We pray that God will do what God will do. We always believe that God can. All of the previous wonders that Israel saw were meant to build their faith In the ability to provide. But instead of using the past wonders of the Lord to build confidence, Israel used it to cast doubt on God's ability. Just as we move past this, I want to make sure that we ask ourselves the question, are we doing the same thing? Are we limiting God based on our limits? Yes, if you and I are in the desert and there's nothing to eat or drink, And you say, can Tim provide a table in the wilderness? The answer is resounding, no. Can he bring water from rocks? No. But if God, who has already been doing this, and already proven himself capable in every single way possible, the answer is always yes. God can. God has. The question is, will God? But when we look at our own limitations, when we look at how little we can do, it's so easy for us to then say if I can't you know that, that old chair, you know someone you know Dan, Dan, he's our man, if he can't do it, no one can. We we have that mentality with God. Me, me, I'm the man. If I can't do it, not even God can. And the most high gets replaced with me. We will face impossible circumstances. There will be tough times in front of us. And in those times, we turn to God in our weakness. And we pray. and We ask God to come through. And we ask God to sustain us and to take care of us and to provide for us. But our prayers have to sound like reliance and trust and not like a list of demands. Think about your prayers. Do they sound like God? Do this, do this, or else? Or do they sound like God? I can't, I can't do anything here, God. If, if I'm going to make it, it's only because you're going to do it, God. I don't have any. I don't have a job. I don't have a, I don't have the thing that I want, God. I I I, I need this thing, or I, even I want this thing, God. But you have to give it to me, or, or I'm not going to have it. Do our prayers sound like a hostage negotiation or do they sound like faith-filled reliance? Israel's demand revealed that in their opinion, God was not Most High. They were. They were ordering God around, suggesting that Israel had trouble seeing themselves and their cravings and their will as the Most High, not their God. And so then we see that sinful cravings and selfish demands led to deadly desires. Now, I won't have you turn there because of time, but in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, James talks about temptations. You can read that. I would encourage you to do so. And in James 1:14, it gives us a progression that starts right off at the top with desires and lusts. It says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away or enticed, carried away by his lusts by his passions or his cravings. And lust or, de- or desire conceives and gives birth to baby sin. And sin always brings death. Our sinful cravings always lead to death. And that's exactly what we see in Psalm 78. If you'll look down at verse number 21. Verse number 21 after they test him, they demand of him, they doubt him. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. Not just slightly irritated, not irked, full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. This is not just metaphorical language. Numbers 11.1, literal fire came and was all around the camp and they had to Repent. They prayed that Moses would pray for them and that God would take the fire from their midst. Fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel. The people should have gotten the point God is not pleased when we doubt Him. God is not pleased when we demand of Him. When we try to manipulate Him. How did God judge them? How does sin bring death? Well, first of all, God sent fire. God was full of wrath. Why? It says there in verse 22, because they did not believe in God and they did not trust His saving power. Now wait a minute. We're, we're not necessarily... The issue is not salvation. The issue is more of like sustaining. Provision. They've already been rescued. They already have food. They want something more. So this is not a life or death. This is more comfortable we're talking about here. But the psalmist says that because Israel failed to trust His saving power, and so therefore we can gather that because they didn't trust His saving power, they did not trust His sustaining power. Because they did not believe that God could save them, they did not believe that God could take care of them. His saving power should have convinced them of His sustaining power, that He could care for their every need. I like how one put it, the people were not overwhelmed by God's ability to deliver. Therefore, they, they doubted Him and they were judged. They were condemned. Once again, God's wonders of the past are the basis for our trust in the present. Not for manipulation. Not so that we can doubt Him. Not so that we can say, well, God, you did it for them. You have to do it for me. Be fair. Well, God... You, 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 you bless those people out there with a new car. I want a new car. Well, God, you gave so-and-so a wife. I want a wife. Well, God, you gave so-and-so children. I want children. God, so-and-so has a million dollars. I want a million dollars. Be fair. Do for me what you did for all those other people. It's not what we're intended to do with the wonders of the past. The wonders of the past are given to us to build confidence and to build trust in God who can sustain us. But Israel... Stubborn Israel. Before we separate ourselves too far from them, we're not too different. Even though they saw the judgment of God in fire, they were still craving their desires. And so in verse 23, all the way down to the end, God grants their request. God gives them what they craved. They were stubborn. And so God gave them what they wanted. But with one big exception. He gave them what they wanted. but He gave them no satisfaction. They had the thing they craved. But even then, it was not satisfying. It was not enough. He gave them their desire, but no enjoyment. And many died while they ate the very food they craved. The very thing that they wanted so badly brought them death. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1, the preacher says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. And here it is. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing, Of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. They have everything they want. And it's still not enough. They're still not happy. They're still not enjoying it. While the meat was in their teeth. He killed them. And he struck them down. Let me make two observations in the time that we have left. Number one, we must beware when we desire what God has not provided. You find in your soul and your desires something that God has not given you, beware. Have you ever thought that God knows you don't have that thing you want so badly? Have you ever thought that maybe God knows something that we don't know? And that maybe the thing that we want so badly. It's not good for us, and we should not have it. Now, I used to joke when I was a kid. I even made it the other day. I made the joke. You know, I know that maybe God knows that a million dollars would not be good for me, but I would sure love for him to prove it. I would sure love to have that million dollars and see I'm, I'm not cut out to be a millionaire. But maybe, and by maybe I mean certainly, God knows what you need and when we begin to desire the things that God has not provided for us you better beware that doesn't mean that you don't go out and work for things it doesn't mean that you can't have desires and you go out and work this is not a, an excuse to be lazy this is not an excuse to not even pray for the things that you want let's move out of the needs and let's talk about wants there are things that you and I don't have right now that we would like. Right? Some of you would like a wife or a husband. Some of you would like a better paying job. Some of us would like, uh, I don't know, fill in the blank. And, we could, and you could say, those aren't wrong things to have. I want one of those. And, and we could even maybe say that God gave me the desire to have one of those. This does not mean that you don't go and get the things that you want, work for the things that you want, or, or, or pray and ask God to give you the things that you want. But in the working and in the praying, here's the question to ask, am I trusting God to provide, or am I willing to do whatever it takes to get what I want? Even if God were to come and tell me, no, this is not good for you. Are you satisfied with whatever God provides? Now, how do I know if my desire is a sinful craving or just a simple desire. Let me try to be helpful in just a moment, in just a, one, one minute. Let me explain it, how you can think about it. Instead of asking, what do I want that I don't have, i.e., money, bigger house, children, spouse, whatever, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Instead of asking, what is it that I want that I don't have? Because there are things out there that we should not want you're married, you should not want another woman, okay? But there are things out there that we don't have that it's okay to want. You want a better house. You want better health, whatever it is. So instead of saying, what do I I want that I don't have, ask this, am I satisfied with what God has actually given to me? God has given us things. Can I be satisfied with what God has already given? Can I say, God, this is enough? I sure would love that over there but if it never comes this is all this is this is fine by me i'm okay with this because this is what you gave me and i don't know everything that you have out there for me maybe later something like that will come along and i'll be praising you when it happens if it happens but if it never happens this is fine with me because if i have god if i have his son i have all i need If I'm not satisfied with what God has provided, then my sin nature is going to drive me to look for it elsewhere. That's when desires become sinful cravings. Second observation, we must beware not only when we desire what God has not provided, we must beware when we get what we sinfully crave. You have a craving, you're no longer satisfied with the things that God has given you, and you finally get that thing, beware. Because Psalm 78 shows us that getting what you sinfully crave may be a sign of God's judgment. I'm not saying that you didn't have it, you prayed for it, and then you got it. Oh no, I don't want this. I'm talking about when we recognize that what we want is a sinful craving. And we go to extreme measures or do whatever it is We go outside of God's hand to find what we want. Beware. Because you may get what you want and find out that you do not want what you got. There's a reason God has not given us everything we want. Do we trust Him to do what is best? How then can we learn to be satisfied with what God gives us? Four ideas, and I'll just list them off to you, and we'll be finished. Number one, praise God for His kindness. For his grace how can we learn to be satisfied by actively looking for the reasons to praise God instead of looking around at all the things we don't have look at what God has given in his hand and given to us and say thank you for this and thank you for this learn to give thanks for the little things as well as the big things number two, learn to pray for daily bread this is part of the Lord's Prayer Give us this day our daily bread. One of the teachings in that short little phrase is that we are learning to look to God to provide all that we need. I'm looking to you, God, for the things that I need. And I'm looking nowhere else. That means that if I don't get it, it's because you don't give it. And if I don't get it and you don't give it, I'm okay with that. God, give me what I need. You know better and I do. I look to you. Give me daily bread. Be satisfied with all that God gives, and only what God gives. Thirdly, we must recognize our sinful cravings. Learn to recognize the sinful cravings in your life. The things that you want, honestly ask yourself, do I want this? Or do I need this? I must have it. I'm willing to get anything. I, I, I'm willing to do it, whatever it takes to get it. Ask, has God given this to me? Is God withholding this from from me for a reason? Fourthly, we must thank and praise God for His mercy. Not just His goodness, but His mercy. If I could skip ahead to verse 38 of Psalm 78, probably next week we'll see this verse. He restrained His anger often. It did not stir up all His wrath. Even when you and I experience the wrath of God, the judgment of God, up to this point, we have not felt it in its fullest degree. God often re- holds back His wrath. We, do, we often... The fact that we commit the same sins that Israel did, how often have you and I done the very thing and yet God does not treat us as our sins deserve As believers in Christ, we can praise God that He has treated Christ according to our sins. That's why I read that verse, Psalm 103. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. He repaid Christ for my iniquities. We Thank Him. The mercy of God did not give me full, undiluted wrath. He gave me the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. I didn't do anything. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to drum up enough con- uh, confession or repentance. I didn't do anything. He came to me when I was dead in my sins. God has dealt with the Christian sin in Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation. Thank God for his mercy. He fully loves, He fully cares for his people. One of my favorite verses is Psalm eighty-four, eleven: No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If there is something that is truly good for you to have, God will give it. If it is not truly good for you to have, and it's not up to you or me to determine if it is good to have, God, the Most High, will give it. And therefore, I can be truly satisfied in God because he has proven to me time and time again, and most, uh, most notably in Jesus Christ, that he has met my every need, my greatest need for salvation, for justification and righteousness, he has met in Jesus Christ. Everything else, as they say, is gravy. Everything else he has met, my lesser physical needs. May we pray the words of Psalm 90, 14, God, satisfy us, in the morning, with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I don't need all of the things that I want to be happy. I just need what God gives. And in there, I can find satisfaction. Not in my cravings, but in my God. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come this morning because we recognize that you are the giver of all good things. And we do come this morning this day, because we need many things. And there are even on top of that many things that we desire. and We don't have the time nor the, uh, the, the wisdom to recognize every person's want and the, the goodness of it or the selfishness behind the desire. But you who know all things, knows our hearts and our thoughts, our wishes, and you know the things that are good for us, things that are not good for us, and we then look to you to supply our every need. You are our shepherd. You shall not want. You will provide us the pasture. You will provide us the protection. and You will bring us to every place that we need to be and give us everything that we need to have. Already we have so much in Jesus. For those in the room who may not know Jesus as their Savior. They know Him as something else, but they don't know Him as their Savior. Lord, they are truly missing out on the greatest treasure. They may have money and lands and family and toys. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We pray then that you, would, by the Spirit, would draw them to yourself and make them know the joy of salvation. And for the rest of us who already know it, may we be happy in Jesus and joyful in our salvation. And Teach us then to want only what you give and be satisfied with everything that you give. Help us, please, because by ourselves, this is an impossible task. But with you, God, all things are possible.